This is Verna Forte of your Outside Mindset Show, where I shine a light on aging adults who may have a chronic illness and who are taking back their outside mindsets by looking or going outside to spend time in green spaces close to trees, shrubs, and plants. I started this podcast for two reasons. One, I want to help people to recognize that going outside into green space is not just a nice thing to do, but it can transform your life. And two, I want to give you practical tips to feel better as you widen and deepen your relationship with your surroundings. For peer-reviewed research on how green space can transform your health, please go to my website, treesmendis.com, and check out my books, Take Back Your Outside Mindset, Live Longer, Stress Less, and Control Your Chronic Illness, and my brand new book, Optimize Your Heart Rate, Balance Your Mind and Body with Green Space. Thank you for that. And today, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce to you our guest, Professor Andy Jones. He is a public health academic who holds the position of professorial fellow in Norwich Medical School at the University of East Anglia in the UK. He has wide-ranging interests, including the pragmatic evaluation of public health interventions, the role of the environment as a determinant of health, and related behaviors, and the impact of access to services on health outcomes. He has a strong focus on policy and delivery in his work and collaborates with several key UK organizations working in the field, including the National Health Institute for Health Research, the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, and Cancer Research UK. Welcome, Professor Andy Jones. Thank you, Verda. Really pleased to be here. Oh, thank you so much. Would you please tell us, uh, Andy, more about you and your interest in green space research? Yeah, I guess, I guess some, sometimes it's, it's tricky to understand how, how you've got interested in something, particularly maybe in adulthood where you kind of have got used to it. But, uh, but I, think, I think for me, um, the, the, the real interests came from, from my childhood. I was, um, I was brought up in uh, a coastal area of the UK on the Suffolk coastline, um, really beautiful part of the country. And um, one, one of the real memories I have of being a, a really young child was getting taken out by my mum in, into the countryside and, you know, we'd walk and, and enjoy nature. And I, I'm pretty sure that sowed the seeds of, um, of, of the rest of my career, even though who'd have guessed it back then. And um, I guess the natural thing after having that, that, that those sort of experiences in early life was to, to do an environmental science degree, which I, which I did at university. But I, but I always had an interest in, in, in health and, and sort of, you know, the links to um, human well-being. Uh, so, so I guess bring, bringing those those two things together, that public health interest with that environmental science background have really gone and shaped um, my interests in, in nature and health. It's, it's kind of a pretty cool when you can look at the relationship between, between two things and, you, and you're really an advocate 
for both of them. Um, so, so perhaps it was inevitable that that I'd get into um, into this field of environment and health. I think probably from the, the first year of my life, the die had been cast. <laughs> I love that. Um, could you please remind us of the definition of green space and and the history of that idea of green space connected to health? Yeah, I mean, I think. Um, there is no there is not one definition of green space i think different people do take different definitions but 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 broadly it's areas where there's there's vegetation and and nature um i think there's a big difference actually between what we would think of as um as green environments in a, a country like the uk where i'm based and and what we might find um you know in in the usa for example i mean one one big difference is we're, we're, we're quite a small island. We're, we're quite um, highly populated. And, and our national parks are, are places which are, are actually quite developed. The, you know, people live, people work, there are industry, all sorts of things go on. We don't have the space really to have those sort of pristine environments or, or more pristine environments um, like you find in, in, in the USA. So uh, that that's quite a difference, and 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 I think actually it, it reflects the history of uh, how green space has been part of the public consciousness, but also part of the public health movement. Um, in the UK, it, it largely came about of um, a desire, I think, to to get people more effective in the workplace. So, so at the end of the nineteenth century, we had some of the um, rather more open-minded employers like Cadbury, known, known for the chocolate, and oh. Bourneville. Um, that, that those guys recognised that that actually, if you wanted productive workers, you needed healthy workers. And if we think about, you know, what urban environments were like in this country at the end of the nineteenth century, that they, they weren't healthy at all. Far from it. Yeah. So, so, so actually, what those people did is they they developed new settlements, uh, Port Sunlight being an example of one, um, which was built for work factory workers, which actually incorporated um, green space into the design of the settlement. So, you know, places for people to socialize. Um, everybody had a garden. People had an apple tree in their garden, so they could kind of you know grow fruit, things like that. Um, and I think that was really the sort of, if we think about the sort of modern green space movement, that was the birth of it. And then, then we saw big uh, expansion in urban areas, um, both pre and, and post-war. And, and again, you know, one of the sort of guiding principles at that time was to make sure that um, enough green space was put aside to to give places for people living in often quite high density housing to to be able to go and use them. So we saw the sort of urban parks movement really come about, and and you know we're still benefiting from it today because mm-hmm. those parks are all still there, and they are. Um, we can we can go and enjoy it. Um, so, so it's been quite a sort of urban centric movement in this country. And, you know, originally, as I say, associated with economic productivity, but of course, you know, productive workers are healthy workers. So you get those wider benefits um, uh, coming out of that. 
you know, I, I should have told you, Andy, that I'm in uh, I'm in Canada, and oh, uh, and my and my boys are now living in they're working in the financial sector in in London. Okay. So I've been over to visit them, and I was just bowled over by the beautiful national parks or, or this parks yeah. that you can just walk to and. And of course, yeah. they're they're very careful now about making sure that they're living with in areas with trees. <laughs> yeah, um, and London's a great city for greenery as well. Um, you know, as as you say, we've got really really big parks like Hyde Park mm-hmm. and Regent Park right in the centre of town, and um, you stand in the middle of them, and you you'd think you'd be you know miles from the nearest um, you know place of civilization so you know great place to be yeah fantastic and i think that's the first time i heard uh, trees described as the lungs of the city and it, they yeah. really really are and and uh, yeah so wonderful um let's could we move to talk about your research paper and i'll just tell for listeners uh what the name of it is, and then we can deconstruct it. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's called um, The Health Benefits of the Great Outdoors, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis of Green Space Exposure and Health Outcomes. Well done. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> but, but let me say that the great outdoors, that's really nice to see that. Out yeah, there. we managed to You try and get at least something in there, which makes it sound, as, as you know, as academics, we're not always the best coming up with snappy titles. So. Well, you have to show all the work, the process that you've done. So, yeah. so uh, you'll tell us what a systematic review, what you did in terms of your process. And then uh, maybe for listeners, health outcomes. Could you just describe what a health outcome is, or or I can? Yeah, yeah, I can. Let's. Shall I start off by just giving a quick blast of what we did? And yes, please. Maybe yes. just say a bit about what a systematic review is, actually, because yeah, I, I guess Fantastic. it is what it says. I guess it is what it says on the tin, and there's two bits to it. It's a review, <laughs> so we're reviewing the literature, we're looking to see what's out there, and it's systematic. I guess what the systematic means. It mean, means we do it in a way where somebody else could come along and reproduce what we've done and and would pretty much or they should if it's done well they should kind of get the same results and and that's actually quite important because if we're wanting to be scientifically rigorous we need we need to be transparent and um, doing things a sort of systematic transparent way means that what we produce is going to be less biased. So so why did did we do the review? Well, one of the problems, um, as you'll be aware, and a lot lot of your listeners maybe as well, is there's a heck of a lot of conflicting stuff out there on green space and health. And, you know, you find that in, in general uh, in general literature, but it's in the scientific literature as well. So sometimes it can be really useful to, um, to take stock and um, bring it together and say, okay, well, let's try and cut through all this diversity, through the noise, if you like, <laughs> that's out there and see if we can find a signal. Is there a signal with all this noise because there's always noise isn't there if you get a hundred people doing a hundred research studies they're going to come up with a hundred different results but you know what's what's common 
in there rather than what's the noise. So, so, so that, that's what we did. That's what a systematic review does. It tries to sort of cut through, through that variability. So we did this review where we looked at studies that had looked at the association between some measure of green space exposure and health outcomes. And we looked at, at everything. Uh, there was, we, we excluded studies that, that looked at mental health. Now, I, I think mental health is super important, but um, and, and originally we were going to include mental health, but it was just too much of a big job. There was only two of us doing it. We'd probably have still been doing it now, and goodness knows what it would have done <laughs> to our mental health. So, so we excluded that. And then there are one or two other things like obesity, and I'd already done a systematic review of the obesity. There's no need to reinvent the wheel, so we excluded that. But pretty much everything else we looked at. So these are these health outcomes. What are health outcomes? Health outcomes are things that you can measure that are associated with health. So some of them are things that, that we're kind of really used to, um, like, you know, um, blood pressure, something that, you know, we talk about quite a lot, mortality, things like that. Others uh, are perhaps things that maybe we don't measure quite as commonly, but are, but are really important. Things like heart rate variability, which is a, a measure of stress, salivary cortisol, which is also stress. And we even looked at a few sort of birth outcomes like, um, you know, size for gestational age of, um, of babies being born. And we looked to see across all of these studies, we had a hundred and I think it was 143 in total. Across all of them, we looked to see whether there was evidence of a signal in the noise. Was there evidence that the outcomes tended to be better in, in studies looking at, um, uh, you know, high levels of green space versus low levels of green space? Hmm. And this was published uh, in recently, 2018, the Journal of Environmental Research. Yeah. And, uh, and you said that 96% of the studies were done in the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is, this, this, I mean, it very slightly reflects the fact that more studies are done nowadays and, you know, they're easier to get hold of because they're online, but I think it much more reflects the fact that this is an area of growing interest. You know, there's been a real explosion um, of interest in the relationship between green space and health and um, much of the evidence is recent. Mm -hmm. so what did you what did you find when you did this wow. yeah so so in general <laughs> how long have you got I'll, I'll keep it I'll keep it I'll keep it quick no, I mean what we generally what we generally found um was that um that that populations in greener areas okay and of course this this is looking at lots of studies so so how you measure greener area will vary by studies so but but generally populations in greener areas had had better health outcomes than those in less green areas and um that was particularly the case um for outcomes associated with stress so things like the cortisol heart rate heart rate variability blood pressure those were ones which which came out pretty consistently um, but we also found mortality, if we looked at, at all-cause mortality, um, mortality from cardiovascular disease, that was lower in greener areas as well. Uh, and then we had some of the sort of softer outcomes as well, like 
you know, people reporting whether their health was good or not. And um, again, we found an association there whereby, you know, people were more likely to report good health in, in greener areas. Now, the, the size of the effects did, did differ a bit. But, but generally, just generally, if you take sort of people in the greenest areas compared to the least green in these studies, I'd say in general, kind of like 20 percent reduction in bad things and you know 20 percent higher in in good outcomes when you compare um those those green versus less green places no you know that's pretty big really you know if you could come up with a with a pill and reduce somebody's um you know risk of death by 20 percent just by taking it once a day you'd get you go for it wouldn't you so you know quite consistent um findings there yeah and and that's a that's an intervention, medication, a pill. And here yeah, you used uh, green space or the degree of green space. Yeah. yeah, it's so nice to have this that study. I just thank you for for because that study is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So what what was there anything that surprised you or surprised you the most or in in that study? I guess um well I guess the most surprising thing, I think, was the um, consistency of the findings. I think, you know, we clearly people do research on health outcomes because they believe there might be an association there. You kind of wouldn't look at something you didn't think might be associated although of course as we know everything's associated with everything isn't it when you talk about health so you can't really say oh well that wouldn't that wouldn't have an effect but I think um I think there was there was real consistency there in our findings you know the the size of these differences that I've mentioned tended to be quite um quite similar we also I mean one of the one of the troubles with research is that there's there's variability in the quality of studies. That that doesn't necessarily mean that some studies are bad. It just means that there are, there are limitations in in some studies, in, including lots that I've done. You know, a, a lot of academic work is not of the highest quality be, because it can't be. You can't always, you know, do the absolute highest quality studies. So so. You know, there's always a question when when you find these sort of results. Well, is it is it you know down to some sort of bias or problem with the methodology to do with um, to do with study quality? But so so what we did is we rated the quality of studies. We kind of scored them on a load of criteria, and and then we redid our analysis where we threw out the lower studies, the, the those ones that. That scored poorest and we still find these associations they, they were in general a bit smaller but you'd expect them to be a bit smaller because you've kind of got less information you know if you're throwing out a load of your studies mm. then you've got less information but but we still found it was quite consistent um so that's you know again sort of it it suggests that there's something there of course you know being an academic I'm always cautious in my terminology we kind of have it beaten into us to be cautious (laughs) and and that's right you know that's right you need to uh, be be somewhat objective when when approaching this but but um but you know it suggests that there's something there rather than this just being some sort of artifact of you know the way academic studies work I think, I mean, to, to my my mind, there, there are some interesting unanswered questions. 
So um, one of the things we found was that um, in general, the studies that we looked at, they didn't really describe what the characteristics of the green space were. It was, it was often hard to tell what, what, what they were actually looking at when they spoke about green space. Um, and so, so one thing we don't really understand very well, I think, is whether the type of green space or the quality of green space um, is associated with health outcomes. Um, we, we would expect it might be, but, but we don't have information to, um, to, to really be able to tell that. But I think another really big unanswered question is, um, do you actually have to use the green space or just is the fact it's there enough? <laughs> you know, if you live in an area which is, you know, got beautiful forests around you. Is it enough that you look out of your window and enjoy the forest or do the real benefits come from, you know, going hiking or walking the dog or whatever in the forest? And that's not something that we were able to unpick. I suspect there's a bit of both. I think there's probably a bit of both going on there. Um, I mean, we know, for example, there are some quite nice studies that have shown that hospital patients tend to recover quicker if they can see trees from their windows in, in the wards when they're, when they're still in hospital. So, so that would suggest that, you know, it being there is enough. But then there's other research. Some of the stuff we looked at in this review forest bathing in Japan where people you know it's a really nice concept isn't it you go for a swim but you're not actually swimming in water you're, you're swimming in the forest how cool is that um, and they th those studies suggested that there was a sort of effect of, of use you know it wasn't that the forest was there it's the fact that people are actually going into it and there were one or two two of those had actually done experiments where some people were told to, to kind of walk in an urban environment and others in the forest so, so I think there's a bit of both but there's still you know we need to disentangle this a little bit more I think to understand you know what the mechanisms are giving those benefits. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You, you mentioned uh, heart rate variability and heart rate uh, for our listeners could you Talk a little bit about those two things. Yeah, so so they're, they're measures of stress, of course. So heart rate variability is basically the variability in the the time between heartbeats. That's that's kind of what it is. And obviously, heart rate is the is the number of beats per minute. So so that that can be caused by all sorts of different things. You know, if we're if we're physically active, for example, we have more variable heart rate because our heart goes up. Um, you know, when we're more active, and that's a good thing. Uh, and of course, our, our heart rate goes up as well. It beats quicker. So, so the, the, there can be challenges in interpreting this. But, but most people, the variability in heart rate isn't associated with physical activity. It's associated with stress. And there are all sorts of different technical ways you can measure heart rate and variability all the way from taking somebody's pulse to, um, you know, putting an ECG on them and, and looking at the frequencies of the trace that you get. But, but generally, we, we found our results suggest that, um, uh, that, you know, heart rate variability and also heart rate were healthier um, amongst people who had been studied in greener environments than less green so so that that in itself is a is a measure of probably reduced stress 
But if we think about longer term pathways, and that links to another finding in this review, in the longer term, of course, less stress, you know, heart rate variability could be a precursor of cardiovascular disease. That's not to say anybody with a variable heart rate is, is at high risk, but, but you know, it's, it's a risk. So you think about that sort of downstream pathway that, that you know, you, you then looking at, you know, the potential of lower cardiovascular disease risk and lower cardiovascular disease mortality for people living in uh, in greener areas. Mm-hmm. Now, shortly after this study, you did another study uh, with Alice Dalton, who I was lucky to have on the podcast, and she talked about that that study in detail. But could you say a little bit about that study and what you found yeah. there? So that was that that was a different type of study. So the one we've just been talking about, we didn't do any new data collection ourselves. What we did is we just pooled all of the data and information from lots of scientists that are already published their results. The one that the one that Alice and I did, um, in, it was an original piece of research. So rather than pooling other people's findings, we went and um, did did a, did a new piece of analysis ourselves. And um, we used this, um, it's a large population data set known as, known as EPIC. So, you know, when you're doing these, collecting data on a population, it's really important you have a good acronym. That's, <laughs> you know, so EPIC is a pretty EPIC acronym. So, so EPIC actually stands for European Perspective Investigation of Cancer. So what's, what's cardiovascular <laughs> disease got to do with cancer? Well, what, of course, what you do when you're investing a lot of money in um, collecting information on a large population, you you generally think, well, what else, you know, what else can we do with um, with this population? What other information could we collect to allow us to answer lots more scientific questions? It's kind of like really efficient. So so that's what's happened with Epic, and Epic's a, a, as it says in the title, it's European, but but where I'm based in in Norfolk, which is you know just a sort of rural part of England, just just northeast of London. We're really lucky in that one of the European sites for EPIC is is Norfolk. So that's pretty cool. So it's literally on the doorstep here. And and it's a large study. So we had kind of almost 25,000 people um, giving us data in EPIC. Um, So um, what what we did there was, um, well, what what the, the folks that ran EPIC did was one of the things was link um, with health information um, for all these people. So, so we we had good information on the their sort of disease profiles from from their medical records, and we knew where they lived because that's one of the things with Epic. It's understanding what the role of kind of the local environment is, and we kind of knew all about them. So, all of these things that you want to be able to 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 understand and possibly you know adjust for in any sort of analysis we we had we had data on so so what what we did is we 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 took where these people lived and then we uh measured how green their local environments were and and we kind of did it it's a little bit crude this is 
Um, but when you've got 25,000 people, you can't really wander around everybody's house and, you know, take a few photos to see how green it is. So, so we used some satellite imagery that had been processed to, um, to determine where more vegetated areas were. So what we were able to do using a computer mapping package is sort of plot residential locations and then work out um, how green it was in the area. Uh, we chose an area of a kind of around about a kilometer. So again, it's a little bit crude, isn't it? But but you know that that's that's what we were able to do for that size. With how green is the sort of area around a kilometer from from their their home, and 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 what what we found is. Um, is that there was a lower risk of developing cardiovascular disease for those people in in the greenest um, areas. So if their neighbourhood was the greenest, they were at lower risk. The, the the effect wasn't massive. So again, you know, like I was saying before, if we take the sort of greenest with the least green, we found that those in the greenest areas are kind of about seven percent the lower risk of developing cardiovascular disease compared to the least, least green. And we might expect a lower effect because that, that other study was, was people all over the world. So you're going to get much more variability in exposure to green space as, as well as much more variable, you know, population characteristics. Whereas here we've just got, got the sort of local environment in Norfolk. But but that seven percent was even after we've adjusted for all sorts of factors. Because if if you were a skeptic and saying, oh, you know, all this relationship between greenness of areas and um, and health, it's all it's all you know, it's all a joke. It's down to other things. You might say, might you? Well, of course, you know, gr green areas tend to be nicer, so perhaps people are going to be more affluent. And it's you know, it's not about how green it is. It's about the fact that that it's more affluent in a green area or, or that, you know, maybe people are younger in greener areas and therefore they're less like, you know, all of those things. But, but because we had all of this information, we were able to adjust for all of these factors and found that that, that lower risk was robust. So, you know, it didn't appear to be just down to the characteristics of the people. There seemed to be something else there. Mm. Thank you for that. Now, just finally, you your work you do all kinds of work, but you look at the role of the environment as a potential determinant of physical activity and dietary behaviors. Could you just give a little glimpse into that your work in that area, Andy? Yeah, I mean, I think particularly, um, I, I guess more of my work is around physical activity than than dietary. I have done a bit okay. of both, um, but I think there's 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 two there's there's two things interesting there. Well, there's, there's always more than two, isn't there? But two things kind of stand out to me. One is um, how do we design environments? And of course, green space is a part of that, but it's not, it's not all about green space. But, but if we think about that sort of environmental tapestry, you know, green space, gray space, blue space, you know, water, built things, mm -hmm. vegetation, how, how, do we, how do we weave the tapestry in such a way that that being physically active is is the obvious choice it's the natural choice that that that's a big question um and you know an area that i'm i'm interested in in you know doing further research into because because we don't quite know 
But the, the trouble is, when, when you talk about things like exercise, um, you know, it turns a lot of people off. You know, you kind of got awful memories of having to do some sort of, you know, <laughs> physical education class at school, which you hated. And just like, I'll never do that again. And, you know, it's understandable that, that, that that's kind of a scary thing. What we want, really, if we think about things from a population health perspective, um, what we want is people to be physically active without without realising it. You know, it's just what you do. It's like we used to be in the past before, you know, cars came along and all of those things. You know, you were physically active to get around. You didn't think, oh, my God, I'm doing exercise here. You just walked, didn't you, or got on your bike or got on your horse or, or did whatever you did. And, and we've forgotten that. So I think that's an important area of research. Um, how how do we design design our urban environments to encourage that? And you know, it's clearly not going to just be about planning for green space, although that's important. But we need to think about how that green space sits alongside other things. You know, destinations, the reasons for people going out of the house and going places. We also need to think about how how we encourage people to use those spaces, because for a lot of people, you know, those of us that that, that enjoy nature and and green areas in the countryside, it's kind of like a no brainer. But they can be quite an alien environment. Green spaces to lots of people as you know there's research that's shown that that sometimes people think oh that's not for that's not for me that part mm-hmm. that's for other people so 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 clearly we need to to get people thinking about how to use those spaces i think another area of research where we we need to move is is to look is to understand interventions so uh, i mean there are studies that have done this um, but but not many. A lot of the research is is just observational. You know, looking at the association between existing green space and existing health. So what we don't really understand is well how how can we design in green space and how can we understand what the impact of a new green space is on people's health and health related behaviours, and that's really important. I mean, in the UK. At the moment, as in lots of countries, we've got a housing shortage. Um, what we're finding is large areas of land are getting developed for the first time. I mean, there's some brown space urban development, but there's also a lot of, of uh, development in, in, um, in, in the countryside. So, so, so what do we need to do in terms of interventions when we're putting these new spaces in? Um, to encourage people to be more physically active and then from a from a research perspective how do we how do we capture that how do we understand what's going on the the problem is with people in academia is that that often that you know by the time they know that something's being planned or designed or delivered it's it's too late Mm -hmm. you kind of need to know almost you know the minute that the planners start thinking we need to know as well so we can kind of work together and understand the impact of, of what they're doing. And, you know, once stuff's built and then it's often too late. So I think that's another really a- important area, sort of more action-based research um, to understand, you know, the impact of changes to the environment as they as they take place. Oh, I love that. That's great. Mm. Well, well, and working with, working with local communities as well. I mean, again, you know, uh, a, a challenge often leveled at, at academics is the ivory tower you know you don't you don't 
you don't know what it's like on the ground. And I think I think that's somewhat unfair. But but ultimately, it's local communities that are that are using green spaces. So we need to kind of work with them rather than just parachute in, you know, collect our data and then disappear again. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. That's just so key. And and um, just in terms of research, uh, reaching your doctor's office. The, the research says it takes, uh, what, 17 years or something. So yeah. the idea of, of uh, working with the community and, and getting the research and awareness out, maybe it's not in their doctor's office, but uh, it's, as you say, in public health interventions and out in the community. The, yeah. the, the challenge is always, and you know, it's, it's like that in a lot of things in life, isn't it? But the challenge is always to get the message through to the people that, that need it the most. You know, I mean, we're enlightened. I imagine a lot, a lot of the people listening to this podcast, they're kind of, you know, they're already advocates of, um, of, of using nature and, you know, and, and health and well-being as well, you know, thinking about health and health-related behaviours. And we're typically not good at getting that message through to those people that might benefit the most from the message. And, you know, it, it's a challenge, mm-hmm. but we need to do better. And I think more sort of, you know, community-based work is, is, a, is a way to do that. Academics are often not the best people to deliver messages. I mean, you know, we can do a good job of it sometimes. But actually, you know, it's people in local communities that that, that, that can be the ones, you know, you get some advocates for you know, using the park or improving the park or whatever, then then you can get real change. So I think we need to think better how to how to work better locally. Oh, I love that. So what's one thing that listeners can do for their health, Professor Andy Jones? <laughs> well, I guess stop smoking if you are, but let, let's not that's kind of too obvious, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, um, this isn't green space specific, but you can kind of interpret it how, how you want. And it could be green space specific, but I think find time to do things that are restorative and relaxing. I think it's all too easy to just think, I don't have time to go for a walk. I don't have time to, you know, sit in the park um it's very easy for those sort of things those things that that really restore us to get pushed down the schedule because of work or family or you know all of those things that get in the way and um i think we just need to almost block time in the diary to do that and even if it feels like we don't have time we'll actually make time because what's more important than um than than having some restorative activities in your life and and actually if you can do that then work becomes less stressful and family life becomes less stressful as well so it's kind of like a lost leader you know it feels like oh i'm losing you know i could you know that 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 half hour that you spent going for a walk in your lunch break you think oh i could have been at the computer but actually you know when you get back in the afternoon you're more than half an hour more productive because you've had that restoration at lunchtime. So I think I think that would be my top tip. Make sure you find time and, you know, don't have that little voice that says, you, you know, you should be doing other things. Just don't listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, 
Is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, anything I've missed in my questions? And how can listeners find your work, follow your work? Yeah, so I'm. I don't think there's a, there's anything to add. Um, I think we've we've had a. You know, it's been a been a pleasure talking with you, and I think we've covered quite a lot of topics. So I'm the world's worst social media user. You know, normally people would say I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, yeah. or no, I know none of that. You're not none of that. Yeah, you did well to find me actually. So, so there is there is somewhere where people can find my work though. It's um, it's, there's a website called ResearchGate, which is a um, it's a global um website which is sort of where academics is kind of a little bit like an academic facebook so um because uh, i'm not unique being called andy jones there's way too many andy joneses in the world <laughs> even going on ResearchGate and doing andy jones you won't but if you do andy peter jones then you'll get me on ResearchGate. Oh, okay. So it's my middle name that I kind of hide, but it's useful. So researchgate.net and then search for Andy Peter Jones and then you'll find me there. And I know that you, like uh, I used a quote in my uh, new book and it was uh, media because you, you do talk to media and you do translate this. Um, I love it. Yeah, I, to other people. I, Absolutely. I absolutely love doing that, that sort of thing. Um, I think it's really important. Um, it's so important that we try and, you know, get engaged in that translational side of things rather than just file our academic papers away and move on to the next one. <laughs> well, I thank you for that. And listeners, I just want to read a quote that I started one of my chapters in the book with. It, this is Andy Jones' quote. We often reach for medication when we're unwell, but exposure to health-promoting environments is increasingly recognized as both preventing and helping to treat disease. Our study, this is the one we talked about here, shows that the size of these benefits can be enough to have a clinical impact. I love that quote. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you for that. And thank you My for pleasure. being with us today, Professor Andy Jones, really. My Andy pleasure. Peter My pleasure. <laughs> yeah, Andy Peter. Yeah. <laughs> so listeners, let the work of Professor Andy Jones help you to make sure that you do not overlook green space as resource for your health. Let his work inspire you to invite yourself to get outside more often bake getting outside into your daily routine to reduce your risk of heart disease, premature death, stress, diabetes, and consider using your own resting heart rate and heart rate variability as reliable measures of how you feel in any environment. So use green space as your clinical intervention, much like you'd use medication, and see the connection of your health to the health of your environment. Take care. Bye for now, and we'll see you next time.